Season three, ladies and gentlemen, of Chewing the Gristle is upon us. We've got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're going to let the good times roll. Are you ready to pound the gristle? We ride. Brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, starting our season three of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch, we have guitar phenom wailing, wailing, hailing and wailing from Winnipeg, Canada, Ariel Posen, slide guitar fiend, singer-songwriter extraordinaire, Ariel Posen, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into it. Ooh, did you see that? It counted down there. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for yet another installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cockery. This is a season three, the inaugural edition for season three, the mighty Ariel Posen, coming on strong from Canada, even as we speak. Ariel, how the heck are you, my man? Oh, my God, I am doing well. Um, it is an honor to be here, honor to be asked. Thank you for having me. Well, I tell you what, I'm a big fan of yours, doggone it. You know, when I'm uh, when I'm scrolling through the Instagram, as I like to mispronounce it, uh, every time I hear and see you doing your thing, it's just such a joy, doggone it. It's just wow. such a beautiful voice you have on the instrument. You sing great, and the tunes are great. Your concept of harmony. I'm a big fan, doggone it. I tell people, they say, hey, because every, you know, everyone always wants to know, well, who do you listen to? Well, I don't really listen to a ton of, you know how it is. You get stuck in your own world. You're trying to do your own thing. You can't be in everybody else's world or else it kind of messes with, uh, you know, your vision, if you know what I'm saying. Of course you do. Yeah. But when I hear your stuff, I'm like, check out this fella. He is fantastic. Oh, I dig man. it. Means a lot from you. Thank you so much. Um, well, my pleasure. The feeling is mutual, obviously. I have a big thank you. Let me just get this out of the way. Um, and I don't mean this in like a, oh, when I was younger. And I don't mean <laughs> like this is not like a one of those things where it makes you, I hope this doesn't make you feel old in any way or young or anything. That's not that, even with that, age or time. That's right. I, I, Ariel, I'm just glad to be alive at this point. So go right ahead. But I have a big <laughs> thank you for you that I've never thanked you for. But when I first was getting into Stevie Ray Vaughan and I first heard Scuttlebutt, no, sorry, well, it was Scuttlebutton, but specifically couldn't stand the weather, listened to that record, and it kind of changed everything. And I said, man, I need to I need to inhale all of this, and I need to start transcribing, and I need to start learning this. I don't know where I was, but I may have been at Long and McQuaid, which is like Canadian Guitar right. Center. And I'll never forget seeing, I'm 95% sure it was a Hal Leonard video. You are correct. With yes. yourself teaching a bunch of Stevie licks and songs. And, and I bought that and that helped me, that get, got me kickstarted. I don't remember when that was. That was, doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. <laughs> but I want to say thank you for that. Well, that thank you. Video. I got that it on was... VHS. It's probably still at my folks somewhere. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad you dug it. That, uh, you know, that was an interesting thing back in the day. That was like 2001, I believe. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I had listened to, you know, a ton of uh, Stevie Ray, obviously, and I was into a lot of the stuff that he was into before he even came out. So I, you know, it just was kind of a natural fit for me to kind of be into all of the stuff. But years went by and I hadn't listened to Stevie in a long time. And, and 
the Hal Leonard people approached me about doing a bunch of stuff, and one of them was those, was those videos. And I was traveling a bunch at the time, and I remember I had like two days to prepare. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I got a Super Reverb because I, I, I had used to use them back in the day, and then I was like, I got to have another one for to do this video with any degree of authenticity. And I remember I went out and got a Super and <laughs> and all that other kind of stuff, and, and away we went. So I'm glad that uh, was uh, was helpful. Thank you. Well, I, that's well, good I just to hear. being like, you know, uh, I don't know. I've just, I was just getting into it. I was younger. I was just, and like, I oh, he's got like the sound is exactly the same. And oh, this is, everything's awesome. That's an impact on me. It's stuck. Well, me. thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about growing up in, in the mighty Winnipeg. It seems that, um, I mean, obviously that is a town that has got some guitar lore to it. I mean, everyone from, of course, Randy Bachman to the mighty uh, Lenny Bro, and of course your uh, your association with uh, Brothers Landreth and all that kind of stuff. So, what is it about Winnipeg? Is <laughs> what's what's in the water? It's funny because um, I was asked this. I was in Atlanta this past weekend, and I, yeah, saw, I saw that I saw some friends, and they asked me the same question. And I, and I feel like I get asked this a lot. I feel like I never actually have an answer, but I may have, but I may now be closest to the answer yet. So here's my theory. So Winnipeg is not very big, you know, I think it's at its highest population right now, which is maybe just shy of 800,000. Okay. So it's like a big, big enough city, but it's small. And I mean, you know, the weather, you get the same weather as we do, you know, we get all seasons, those winters are brutal, right? Cool. Um, and when it's really cold outside, you know, it's it's not, hey, you want to go get a coffee kind of weather? It, it's more, I'm going to stay home and um, be on house arrest because right. I have no choice. Right. And during that, um, it's a couple of things. But here's my case. Okay, my, it's a two-part theory, um, but it's kind of connected. I, I do think that Winnipeggers, and of course, we're biased. Like, everyone's biased from where they're from. They're like, oh, well... Uh, <laughs> something special in the water in Winnipeg. I can't confirm that, but I can also confirm that everyone that's from anywhere else will say the same thing about where they're from. Although you are, you have, you have listed some names that are, I mean, Lenny bro alone, you know, like let's just, right. Right. Okay. So it's very cold. It's very desolate in some, in like from October till about March, it's basically winter on a good year. Spring actually starts in April. Sometimes doesn't start till may it's a i understand time. you know what it, yeah it's a lot of time to sit around listen to a lot of music and actually just work on whatever you're you're uh you're listening to and working on it and in those formative years i can only speak on my experience but like i was just when i you know i, I think it was around 16 or 17 which is maybe a late bloomer but i was just like okay I need to start taking guitar and music way more seriously than I was. I'm just, I've, it's hit me. It's something you can't force. I'm inspired now. And I feel like I woke up, played all day, didn't put the guitar down until I went to bed. You know, it was uh, eating dinner, lunch with the guitar on. Oh, I got to run to the washroom. I'll just leave it on. You know, it's like I never left. Right. And in those winter years, it was just like, other than playing some gigs, I had a couple of shitty jobs, but like I was, I was gigging all the time. Um, and a mixture of at home all day, listening to music, transcribing, practicing, and then, you know, playing almost every night. And a lot of those gigs when I was younger were just bar gigs, playing 
three sets a night of self-indulgent tunes as a trio, as whatever. And those those were just as shaping of like finding a voice, finding just yourself as a player. And it's funny how generations change. I feel like today's generation from Winnipeg are more um, artist focused, like really, really, really good songwriters and artists. And I feel like the players, that was our, like the generation isn't, it's just not the focus. Not that no one, it's not that nobody's playing their ass off. It's just like right. the focus has shifted. So there was a lot of being home, practicing, gigging, and it was the circle of friends and like your my scene. So I always compare it to something like a New York or LA where uh, a, c- a city is just so big that you're going to have all these micro scenes. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot of people in, let's say, New York. And there's a really good chance that a lot of those people, those players in New York, they don't know each other. So right. like, even, right. even with Facebook now, and it's, that's what happens. And in Winnipeg, that doesn't, that didn't happen. Right. So even if you're playing jazz, if you're playing pop country gigs, if you're playing R&B gigs, if you're doing this, that, everyone was still very aware of um, what everyone was doing. And you would go and see those people play. You'd go see that gig. Goes, and they would come see you. And everyone is kind of in it together, friendly and inspiring each other. And then, of course, like my close circle of musician friends, you know, we were all the same age, trying to cut our teeth, play as many gigs as we can, try to get better. And we were always sharing music with each other. Hey, check this. Have you checked this out? Oh, man, it's insane. Listen to this. And like, I'd be suggesting other things, too. And it was just like this endless wheel of um, inspiring each other on stage and off stage. And and I know that happens in other places, of course. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I think it was a mixture. My theory is that it was just a small scene to really keep the inspiration flowing, if you will. Right, right. Just a lot of time at home in really crappy weather to to flesh it out. Yes, I understand. I've, I've used that same, some of that same uh, logic when describing, you know, coming up in Milwaukee because, you know, very, very similar, actually a little smaller than Winnipeg. Sound. I mean, the city is limits, it's, yeah, yeah, when the, the whole metropolitan area is probably a million-ish, but Milwaukee itself is like, you know, a hair under 600,000. Oh. And, uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know if this played into, with you at all, but there, there's also a little bit, for, for me anyway, of, of the thought of, I mean, you knew who was around locally and who was doing this, that, and the next thing, but your perceptions of what was going on in, in a New York or a Nashville or Los Angeles must be so far above and beyond that. You just kind of had a work ethic and stuff that was shooting for this, this other echelon that you sure was way up here when it turns out that maybe you were overshooting it <laughs> in some way, shapes or form. You know what I mean? And just in terms of, uh, you know, cause there, there seems to be a lot of times, I mean, just, just, again, this is my dysfunctional, dysfunctional kind of look on things, but you know, a lot of people um, maybe in uh, different music centers and so on and so forth, so forth instead of you know sticking to their absolute vision of what they're going for they'll pivot to whatever's going to get them work or get them record deals and so on and so forth but when you live in these tangential provinces where you're doing your thing you can kind of construct your own reality and a lot of times with the right work ethic and 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 just the idea of shooting for a level of excellence uh that kind of overshoots what is actually just 
sufficient for success in the music industry. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And like, it's funny, like the echelons, um, I, you know, I didn't start, I didn't start a solo project as, as like, you know, really just my, my, my source of music and is me till four, like maybe four years ago. It's really a new thing. My echelons were always, okay, I have my own little trio that I do with my friends. I just book us as many gigs as possible. And we just, we just play, it makes, it's easy money. And then I was like, okay, oh, I got a gig playing guitar for this artist who's doing a bunch of showcases, uh, doing a bunch of rehearsals because she has a big showcase for a record label coming up. Oh, right. so being a part of that. And then the echelon was, oh, I just got, you know, I just got the gig of this, one of the main dudes in town that does like an event band gig and he does a big band. Okay, that's great. And then there was the echelon of, hey, this, this person travels. So you're going to be traveling with this person. And then there was the echelon, of, oh, you're going to be flying, not just jumping. Oh, and now you're in a tour bus. And you're, so the echelons were all, I actually never had, like in my head, like I got to be a solo artist. I, I got to be playing a, the Winnipeg arena. It was actually never like that. It was just like, what's the next thing? And what are all, what's my circle doing? We're all just like working our way up the ladder Oh, you're subbing for this guy on that gig. Oh, that's huge. Congrats. You know, just like these little steps on the ladder. But each one felt gigantic at the time. Um, and I think that is important too. I'm just like not uh, not trying to like fly before you're jumping, so to speak. Right, right, right. Gigs like that I've done, I probably wouldn't have been ready when I was younger. Of course, I needed to like go through all the motions of sucking, uh, not knowing how to just uh, be a sideman, be professional, just like all these little nothing things that you learn by, from the older people. And there were so many people um, that I was on gigs with that were maybe 15 years older than me or or 20 years. And you learn so much from those, the seasoned players. Right, right. Uh, it's all essential. Um, but yeah, I didn't start really thinking about, hey, I'm going to do my own thing right up right out the gate it was kind of like uh full circle coming back to the beginning of just me trying to get gigs from the beginning it was just like booking a trio and people seeing us and being like hey band kind of eh, whatever but do you want to play on this record or do you, you know right 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 so when you started to what, what at what term at what point were you like a professional musician in terms of that's your main source of income i mean did you go to uh school at all for music or you just went through the normal high school and then went out and did your thing or how, what was the progression there yeah so finished high school i had already started playing gigs and i say gigs because i i got my first check when i was 14 for a gig so i was like that's my start right there right it wasn't, it wasn't full time um i was playing a lot of basketball basketball was kind of my life in high school it was music and basketball and I made the decision. I, well, first of all, I wasn't nearly good enough to, you know, get a college scholarship or anything like that. And there's the risk of always jamming your fingers, which I did a bunch. And I was like, this is kind of unacceptable. So I actually went to university the first year out of uh, high school, and I eventually dropped out halfway through. It was just big mistake. I didn't care. I didn't know I was there. And that year, I'd say. So when I was like 18, I started. I just fully committed. I, I, I had a couple, like I did a telemarketing job for a couple months and I, I did another shitty job, but like really I, it was, I was already playing in four or five bands 
And I was just trying to, I was like on the forums, not, or not the forums, but like the classifieds of like, need a guitar player for this kind of band. I was like, I can do that. Right, right. Them. Stuff yeah. that I would like, probably would never, I didn't even like the music. I just wanted to be involved in, in like, have as much experience. So around when I was 18, I, I was definitely starting full-time while still maintaining some crappy jobs. And by the end of 18, closer to 19, I was full, I was fully in. And I, I realized that you kind of have to dive in and working with, you know, how many musicians have you worked with that still hold down a day job of some kind? It, it, I understand everyone's got their own situation, but sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, Randy can't make the daytime rehearsals because he's working. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know? Uh, so I just dove in and I kind of never looked back from 18, end of 18-ish, I'd say, officially, like nothing else. Yes. Now, tell me a little bit about the influences, because, you know, obviously your, your slide playing is just, it's glorious to behold. And, and you know, I, I hear I hear your own voice in it, but I also hear, you know, shout outs to obviously, you know, everyone from Sonny Landreth to Ry Cooter to you know, the Sacred Steel guys, all that kind of stuff. But who was your kind of gateway drug in, in, uh, in that regard? And um, and who are you still inspired by in that regard? Or are you just to the point now where you can't listen? Because slide is such a a distinct flavor. Am I right? I mean, it's just it's yes. it's, it's one of those things where like if I, you know, I, I love Dwayne Allman because it's there's so much wrong in the right. You know what I mean? Mm. There, there's a vulnerability there. Sometimes the intonation is just this side of, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was fearless. He would do all this 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 wacky stuff. And, you know, and of course, it's always weird to believe or weird to remember that he was you know, he was 24 when he died. <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, uh, but it's one of those things where if, you know, and you know how people are. They hear slide and they they jump to whoever slide people they know. Oh, you sound just like Sonny Leonard. Well, actually, you. no, I, well, yeah, I mean, thank you, but I'm, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Classic. Well, for slide, I, I was brought up on the Beatles and, um, you know, my parents were showing that to me and my brother right out the gate. And it, it was always bands. It was bands that I was listening to. It wasn't necessarily guitar players. Like when I first started listening to Stevie, that's when I was like, okay, I think I'm going to focus in on instrumentalists or just like specific instruments. And I put all my time into guitar, keys, bass players, drummers, horns, everything. Um, but, you know, I, I, I subconsciously took a lot of like George Harrison's kind of yeah. vibes. Mm -hmm. And in the modern day, I mean, you know, if you were a 19, 20-year-old, at my age, it was like, you know, Derek Trucks was just starting to like explode. Right. He already exploded, but he was, I remember he came to Winnipeg for the jazz festival and he played and everyone in the room, it's almost like they've never seen anything like that or heard anything like that. Right. And it, it spoke to me in a way where it was like, that was absolutely amazing and mind blowing. But I, I it wasn't like, I, I, I need to do that. I, it, it just was like, that's something that already exists. That's just unbelievable. That right. was moving. Um, and yeah, I put time into listening to actually not really a lot of Sonny Landreth, although I know the behind the slide thing, that's a, that's a comparison that gets drawn. Um, but it was specifically um, a felon from Canada named Kevin Bright. Have you heard of him? 
Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so Kevin is like a session player. He's got his own bands, but and he's played with like Nora Jones and uh, Katie Lang. Cassandra. He's played on a million records. And okay. He's got a couple projects, his own band under his own name, another band called The Sisters Euclid, and um, another project I really love with a guy named Harry Manx, who's also a Canadian kind of dobro player, and he has like sitar strings on his guitar. It's very interesting. So cool. his playing, I heard around the same time, probably early, just before Derek Trucks. Um, and, you know, when I heard Derek, it was like, okay, I can hear like the Allman Brothers thing, but it's really untouchable. He's doing his own thing. You know? Right, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. And then I heard Kevin and it was like, okay, I can hear the Lowell George influence and I love Lowell George. I right. I hear the Ry Cooter. I love Ry Cooter, right. Bonnie Raitt. Um, but he was he was doing something that was so original that it was just his own thing and i was that was when i was first hearing a little bit of the behind the slide i was hearing a lot of chordal sliding stuff i was hearing a lot of using your your lower strings and droning and and playing on top and flipping it around and droning your high strings and playing the low ones right and kind of like how you were saying with the Dwayne thing it was just very fearless and unexpected you know it just you you didn't know what was going to happen you didn't know what he was going to play and it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat because sometimes right. it's wacky and exactly uh, and sometimes and most of the time it'll knock your socks off and it really spoke to me so that was when i said you know what i want to investigate open tuning because i feel like a lot of what i'm hearing obviously derek i know is open e i was like i'm going to start open e and i I just tuned a guitar to open E and I did the thing where you just, you learn a couple of the basic shapes. And then I said, okay, I think I know enough to start faking my way through real gigs. And I just took that right trial by fire. I took that guitar on to a lot of gigs where, you know, it was a little more low pressure. Maybe I was playing three sets a night of, for lack of a better term, who cares what. And right. I would just try to, in real time, take all the things I knew in standard and start applying them while still maintaining like a, a slide voice. Um, and that really helped just application, I guess, mm -hmm. but really it just took a bunch of time and I realized standard tuning or open tuning, you can basically do all the same things. Um, but now I'm getting away from the question that those like the classics, like George Harrison, I love Robbie McIntosh too. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Oh, David Lindley. Yeah. Cooter, right. Lowell, Bonnie, um, Derek, Kevin, those were kind of the main ones. And I was listening to a lot of bluegrass too. I love Jerry Douglas. Right. Um, even though Dobro is so different, there's so much you can learn and pedal steel players as well. It was almost like the non guitar things were inspiring more for slide and, and just ge music in general than guitar players, right? Singers and, uh, horn players, organ players. And, uh, yeah, it's all that kind of good stuff. Now, did you get uh, a hold of that Sacred Steel record when it came out? It was making the rounds and, you know, kind of that the pre-Robert Randolph, you know, exposure to people playing in the churches with the pedal steel and lap steel and so on and so yeah. forth. I heard that way later. <laughs> okay. And, but, and was blown away, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is next level stuff. It's like as close to a vocal Right. As, as you could get. It was just um, Robert Randolph is actually another one. I right, right. have put him on that. I remember watching that first Crossroads DVD. And 
just seeing someone slide to me is so much of an attitude thing and like being up there playing lap what was that was he playing pedal steel or lap steel on that um uh well, maybe a bit of both he kind of yeah sling, slings both of them depending on that's for some reason I'm, I'm kind of blanking but like you know you usually you associate that with like pads and uh polite politeness and just seeing him up front there with an overdrive pedal on and just like singing and ripping it was just like wow that's inspiring that 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 this can come from that when you, right. when you associate it as like such a utility role on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on a bandstand you know it's like this could be a forward lead instrument and it should be um and i did spend some time on a lapse i i I still have a couple of lap steels. Actually, I only have one now, but I, I was doing a lot of lap steel stuff. And it's amazing how square neck, if you want to call it that, with a drawbar, as opposed to playing slide, it's such a different um, such a different mentality. Have you seen, I'm all over the place right now. Have you seen AJ Gensler? Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. But he blows my mind because I see him playing... Um, would we call this normal? I don't know. Right. Yeah. And then he does and then the I other see him do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I, mean, crazy. I get it doing one or the other, but switching between, I guess he wants to use more of his fingers when he's doing it. No, it's just very blowing my mind. Right. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So how do you I mean a lot of times when you're, well, first of all, talk to me a little bit about that, that, that blue guitar that you're playing. It, it seems like it's got really heavy strings on it. Yes. And um, and you like to use fuzz a lot, which is glorious, Sonny. Is there a particular fuzz you like to use? Talk a little bit about just from, you know, I guess from a gear geeky point of view, what's, yeah, what's going the on guitar, there. The guitar is a Mule Resonator guitar. Are you, you're, you've, yeah, I'm where does he make, he, he makes those in, is it Michigan? Yeah, Saginaw, Michigan. Saginaw, Michigan, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was originally making resonators, fantastic resonators. In fact, best resonator I own, I remember... Uh, when I was really listening to a lot of Kevin, this is another side note. It's just like, I always uh, felt like everyone that plays slide, they put a slide on and it's, it's blues. It's just Delta blues. It's just the same thing. Uh, some of those guys were the, was when I was realizing, oh my God, it can just be like an embellishment of the melody that's already happening. It doesn't have to be a blues thing. Right. So specifically on Dobro, or sorry, on Resonators, he, he plays a lot of like old nationals and stuff. And I love that sound. And I remember buying my first Johnson resonator and it literally sounded like steel drums when you played it. <laughs> you know that sound with a slide and yeah. it sounds not like a guitar at all. So when I finally tried a mule, this is where I'm getting at. It was just gorgeous instrument. Very just well-made, well-crafted. Sounds amazing. He started making electric guitars. So he started making tele style guitar so with a steel body and everything else kind of like an electric pretty cool makes his own pickups and i've always been more of a strat guy love tellies love them there's one right there but i've always been a strat guy and i was bugging him for a long time i said would you ever make a strat you should do a strat body version of it and i finally convinced him to he did it and it was right when i was recording my first record how long which came out a couple of years ago and I was doing this song. Well, I recorded a song where I took an old Tiesco Del Rey, like a tulip guitar, tuned it to baritone tuning, like uh, B standard. And I recorded it 
within that tuning. It was really fun and different. Not that baritone tuning is different, but a lot of people don't really use it. They use it just right. as, as your standard. Um, yeah, yeah, tic tacky thing. Tic tacky so thing, exactly. So I took that guitar out live, one microphonic gold foil pickup, unplayable live, just does not work. So I said to him, you know what? This would be a very cool guitar if you string it up baritone style. And I was already messing with lower tunings, open D, open D flat, open C. So I was already thinking matching tension. You know, the, the reason for the heavy strings is that I, I believe that you should just make it feel like your, natu- your normal gauge. So I, I, I typically play 11s in standard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like, okay, if open E is 11s or 12s, let's call it, then open D, maybe 13s, 14s, open C. Right. 16, 17s, B, you know what I'm getting sure. at. Sure, yeah. So yeah, the it's 17s in B standard. And every time someone plays it, if you picked it up right now, you would just be like, oh, this, oh yeah, it just feels like guitar, like normal guitar because it's it's matched. Um, so yeah, that guitar is cool. It's just got its own thing. I don't know specifically what it is that I'm hearing that a steel body has to offer. I've never played a Trussart or any steel Sometimes I honestly forget that it's a steel body. Um, the pickups just have a cool vibe. They're like mini, these mini humbuckers that sound really nice. And the keyword is just different. It's just different with all the people that are playing fantastically with smooth, creamy, nice, gorgeous sounds in standard tuning. Like, hey, I'll just be the guy that does this low thing. Why not? Well, let's talk a little bit. I, that latest tune of yours that's coming out from your new record is called Tumble Away. Is that what you're using on that? Uh, I am using the same tuning. That is a different guitar. That's an old K um, with with flat wounds on it in B standard and a rubber bridge. Uh, it sounds majestic. That song is, that's quite Thank a, so much. that's quite an excursion. I enjoyed that immensely as I was listening to it on my perambulation today. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate that. This, this, this project, now I feel like I'm all over the place. I was going to ask answer your fuzz question. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, I interrupted okay, you. I'll say the fuzz first. Um, um, I, I, I don't know how you use. Do you use fuzz? You use fuzz. You're- I, I do. I mean, use a few different ones, but uh, yeah, it depends on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, I was like, I'll use this one today or exactly. not. <laughs> so it's kind of like that for me. But what I've found, just we all get our own sound in different ways. And the way I get it, um, I find that when people use fuzz with the gain really hot, especially with another if you're stacking it with an overdrive, it just becomes very high gain and saturated. And it's, right. it's the opposite of what I'm going for. So fuzz for me is actually, in fact, you can just take the gain knob off of fuzz. It's the volume for me right. and, and hitting it with an overdrive. So there's some favorites of mine. I, I, uh, I have a love for the King Tone stuff by Jesse Davey. Make okay. the mini fuzz are, are fantastic. My friend Dan out in Germany makes these Dan drive pedals that are fantastic fuzz pedals. Um, I have a signature pedal called the Broadcast AP. It's more of an overdrive preamp, but it can do the fuzz thing as well. Um, And the list really goes on and on because there's endless amounts. But those are kind of my favorites. Right. If I have a couple boards, I'll typically have 
one of those buzzes going on. And yeah, I, I ride the volume. I have right. the gain very low and then I can control the dynamics most importantly, but I can also control the gain by how much I'm hitting it with another pedal, so to speak, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's not too over, it's not too gainy. It's just big. Right. Bloomy. <laughs> Bloomy. Bloomy. Yes. Fuzz is an interesting thing. It's, I always find it's, um, you know, where it's at on the pl- pedal board and if it plays nice with other pedals. And, mm. uh, you know, and lately, you know, when I did that amp with uh, the, the caulk amplifier people, there's an OTS circuit on it. So it's a half watt power amp tube that I can overdrive and add that to either channel. And that actually oh. functions as a pretty effective fuzz. Cool. Um, so lately I haven't been using any pedals just because I'm a lazy son of a bitch. I want to show up with a guitar, a chord, the amp, and be donezo. And well, let's, uh, be, let's be honest; it, it sound, it'll always sound the best like that. Absolutely, there's just so, no doubt. And I mean, with with those hands that you got, I mean, you could plug into a shoe and it'll sound. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I remember over the years I got different fuzzes that were interesting. There was a I was in Germany one time, and there was a guy. Uh, BSM, and they made a thing called the Fuzz Bender, and it had this little, to- little toggle switch you could go between a tone bender circuit and a fuzz face circuit, and it was really kind of just a one had a lot, a ton of low end, and the other one didn't. Uh, but that one really sounded great. Uh, and then the Jam Pedals um, Fuzz Phrase, mm. Fuzz Fuzz Phase. Fuzz phase, sorry. Uh, that was a pretty cool one. Um, and, and then my buddy Tim Yarning, who made my Gristle King pedal, he made me a fuzz. We called it the F-bomb. And we got the F-bomb 3. And it sounded glorious. So then we made this triple Gristle pedal. It was the, the clean boost, the overdrive, and then that fuzz. But that fuzz was more of a silicon fuzz. And oh, yeah. wouldn't, and it, but it was very, very useful. When I was in a situation where I did uh, one of the, the, the first KMT records I did, I most of it I did with just a telly through that pedal, through like a Vibrolux and just would kind of ride the volume control. Mm. Uh, one of the things I love about just doing, using random fuzzes is that to me, it's like a lot of the greatest guitar tones are just shit sounds broke. You know what I mean? (laughs) I want a level of chaos. There's so many nice and polite guitar sounds. I want it to sound like the end of the world is manifest. (laughs) This is not an ad in any way, but, and Jesse is a friend of mine. But you might really dig one of his because you, he he uh, all the things you kind of just said, you know, like there's a zonk machine setting. There's a I think there's a tone bender setting and there's one other one. So there's some flavors. You can go from fat to like not as fat to kind of thinner. And right. there's, bi- there's bias knobs on it. So you can get that. Oh, really, cool. That yeah, really yeah, yeah. Spitty, broken kind of thing. Or you can get the really smooth, huge kind of thing as well that sounds um, good not an ad but i like it you might dig it um i also really i don't know about you but like i typically have a fuzz that's just a fuzz right and then i'll typically have an octave up fuzz so something separate and forever i, I you know we all listen to jimmy and we all listen to all these pl- and like i was listening to a lot of mike landau yeah in my formative years if you will and i just love that octavian kind of sound yeah absolutely and it's so good. But lately I've been after the Cobb sound. And I don't know, I don't really know the backstory on the Cobb as well as I should, because I really I just know that it's it's a fuller, fatter kind of octave up where okay. you're not losing the muscle. In fact, it's like packing more muscles. It's almost like sounds like steroids. <laughs> right. Um, and that has been a, 
a big sound for me lately. I, I um, again, Jesse does a really good like the Octoland. I have the this Shine, um Screaming Sister pedal, and <laughs> and my friend Zach Mythos pedals makes. Oh, he's great. Called, yeah, called the Argo. Really, I use it all over my record. I'm really into that kind of fuzz sound too. I feel. I, like I, I love the Octavia thing. I, as, a, as a matter of fact, I only use them one way. It's like I use a. It's like the amount of octave fuzz is on like uh, nine o'clock and the volume's on three o'clock. That's how I use them all the time. And then I don't, if I, if I hit them, if I hit those knobs, it pisses me off. So I have my buddy, Tim, I go, make me an octave pedals where that's the way it's set. And I just want an on and off switch. So that's, yes. that, that's what he made for me. So when I kick that thing, it's just that right amount. And I remember over the years I had um, like, at first I had the Roger Mayer spaceship looking Octavia, oh, yeah. right? And, and for whatever in my mind, it's like I, I, I thought, well, that's more of kind of the, the are you experienced Axis Builders love sound, but the Tycho Bray or however you say that, yeah. that's more of the kind of the ring modulated, kind of like a steel drum from hell type of, type yeah. of tone. Yeah. And uh, for all I know, they might be the exact same circus that I'm just high on crack, which I don't think I am. But uh, <laughs> it, just, it just seemed like that band of gypsy sound was just so much more rotund. Totally. And uh, so that's the sound I love too. But yeah, it's one of those things where <clears throat> I like that always has to be, as you know, the very front of the chain because anywhere yeah. else it's going to sound like ass in a handbasket. So do you, obviously, I guess if you have your gain at nine o'clock, that means that you've got your gain pretty low on those too, right? Yes. I'm the same way. I feel like they can get really, again, it's that, like that saturated, you lose all the, lose all the meat on the bone. Right. Um, it gives you the, the the steel drum from hell sound without all of the angry bits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, the pedal thing it never ends. You know, I I go through various different things as we all do. But you know, what's kind of funny, like pre pre Cove, when we started touring a bunch with the trio. You know, uh, I mean, let's be honest. It's like, you, you know how it is. You, you've been in Dudley's van. You know what oh, it's yeah. like. You know, it's like it's down and dirty. You're hauling your own shit. You're working the merch table. You're, t- you know, you're doing all that kind of stuff. So at the end of the night, you come back and you're like, now I got to tear down all this shit. You got to be jiving me, Vern. You know, and you want to, <laughs> so you're going to have somebody else along, you know, as far as uh, that is concerned until, you know, the great bounty rolls in at some point in the uh, indeterminable yeah, gotta future. Uh, got to keep it civilized just for your own well-being. When you're, when you're the one packing your own stuff up, you got to make it easier on your back. Gotta yes. Make it easier on the pack. It's all yes. backwards, right? Exactly. I'm with you hundred percent. Just kind of, it becomes the bare essentials. And really like you've just proved, do we really need them? No, nah. but do we want them? Yeah. So it becomes a want over a need. And you know, the, how many people ask, oh, what's that? How do I get that sound? How do I get, how do I sound like this? It says, honestly, you're never going to. You're just, because you're always going to sound like you. You're right. And you're always going to sound like you. You're right. Um, and I'm never trying to take business away from, from people. Uh, but really, I mean, the pedals well, it's about, it's about inspir- they don't define us. Right. It's just about inspiration. That's all exactly. I would say. If they inspire you today, if they inspire, you know, it's, it, that's what it's all about. It's not wrong or it's not right. I'm definitely not one of those like, I only use a guitar and a chord and a pedal. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's about ease of use. But, you know, it's about whatever inspires you in the moans, whether it's yeah. having a, a Starship Enterprise in front of you with a bunch of pedals or not. It's like whatever, whatever makes life palatable right now. <laughs> 100%. Whatever keeps, yeah, whatever keeps the inspiration going, too. There's no... 
no right or wrong, I think. Everyone's exactly. allowed to tap into their creative, uh, you know, road. I, like. <laughs> I got to ask you this question because it always, I mean, I totally understand this question. And I, under, and I understand where people are coming from when they're asking it, but I just I joke about it with my wife all the time. I mean, my wife doesn't play music or whatever else. I'll, I'll just say, hey, honey, I played a slide thing on the Internet today. Guess what someone asked? What tuning is that? I just, yeah. just want to go, you know what, um, do a little bit of homework. But I understand it because I remember, I remember um, when I first met Rick Vito. Uh, who's a magnificent slide player. He's got a great voice. He's fantastic. And the first time I met him, you know, he was he was at the the Reverend booth uh, at a NAMM show, and I was doing I was kind of doing the roaming reporter thing for for Wildwood, and I stopped there, and and he was clearly in some kind of a minor tuning, so it wasn't exactly uh, a, a stupid question at that point mm-hmm. to ask him what tuning he was in. But he looked at me, he's like, you know, he wasn't going to answer me. And I always thought, well, that's kind of weird. But now I totally respect it. (laughs) (laughs) But but it is so funny. It's like, well, what tuning do you think it is? If I'm barring across here and you're hearing a chord, and then when I don't touch the guitar and you're hearing a low note, you can figure it out. But I think it's just just a way for people to try to be engaged. You know what I mean? They just want to engage with you in any way that sounds, you know, educated. And that's fine. I, mean, I don't mean to be dickish yeah. about it, but it is, but it is just humorous. I definitely get a lot of what tuning and what slide is that question. Yeah, is. And that's it. fine. You know, right. it, it, not, none of it's a secret for me. I, I either play in standard or in open, like right. one, five, one, three, five, one. It's, right. It's always going to be one of those two. It's just going to be maybe in a different key, but it's the same intervals. Right. So, yeah, if you see me doing this or like that as a major chord, chances right. are that's a major that's open tuning. <laughs> there you go. There um, you go. But you know what? I'm seeing some players uh these day these days that are um they're like the mold continues to to be broken. Like um there's this there's this girl, Madison Cunningham. I don't know if you've checked her out. She's an amazing songwriter. I haven't seen her play slide, but she's playing some tunings that I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there like, uh, what? Like what? Right. I'm those people now. I'm so I think, she, I think she's actually just creating. I think she's, it's comes from a very like composing. Side yeah. Of but that, brain, yeah, yeah that, that, that's a, that's a whole nother thing, right? That's when a whole they, other thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but it's so cool. I mean, it makes me feel like, man, I should really experiment with just kind of coming up with new tunings. But then I think to myself, like, it took me long enough just to wrap my brain around open tuning. Why am I going to start? Even dad gad, like I'm open D, great. Right. I've spent the time. You change that one string yeah, to, a whole other, to a four, yeah, throws yeah. everything off. I lived in Ireland for a, um, a couple of years and a bunch of my friends that I would be playing with always play in dad gad. And seeing them play their major chords that looked like um, sus chords, it was just like, Right. And their minor chords look like major chords. It was just it was just a mind bending thing for me. So I'm just like, I'm just gonna stick to what I'm have working for me right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my buddy uh, Willie Porter. Do you know Willie Porter? He lives locally. He's a buddy, my singer songwriter guy. No, I don't. 
You should check him out. You'd love him. He sings okay. writes writes great songs, sings great, and and plays wonderfully on the guitar. He does a bunch of the different tunings, and he'll do the thing with like multiple capos. You know, that's the part oh. that freaks me out. You know, like and it's just the drones and the chords that he's playing sound magnificent. You're like, what is that? Well, this is this tuning. You can do this. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that, world, yeah. that's a whole other mysterious world. And then when I I, I used to I played on a couple of his records, and we you know get ready for these gigs, and he would have these tunes, and you know you're looking at the the, the next like you have to just completely divorce yourself from the visuals yeah. and just rely on your ear and go oh well that's actually that's just a major seventh chord it just sounds you know weird yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to map your way around it but it's a, it's a matter of just getting it into your subconscious and that's kind of like how i was saying a few minutes ago about taking an open e guitar or whatever on gigs where the the, the songs you're playing are like embedded straight up muscle memory already Right. And you you just ha- on the fly have to adjust. Okay, you know my major chord is bar chord. Oh, now it's this. So my major seven is now an A minor six shape, or like it just kind of starts magically happening on the fly. There's a lot of mistakes that will right. be made, but eventually those turn into things you remember and they stick with you. At least that everyone works differently. I'm always fascinated by how people learn things. You know, there's the people that just sit, do something a million times. There's the people that just have to apply it in context. I'm kind of like that. Um, and there's a million other ways of learning things. Right. It just, just goes to show, I guess, there's just a bunch of different, different brains out there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think there's, there's uh, like, as you were saying, you know, you just kind of trial by fire. You yeah. come up with some things you remember, but there's always kind of this, there's still this air of uh, mystery, when you're, because you're like, is this going to work? I can't remember if this is going to quite work, but I'm going to try it. You're like, hey, that's cool. Whereas there's other people that are so, I need to figure out exactly what all this stuff does. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. I, I like, I like there to be still a little bit of surprise. You know what I mean? Like, hey, oh, I didn't know you could. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's how, I mean, that's how you discover things too. It's like, you never would have, uh, there's something between someone showing you something and you, stumbling upon something it's like oh right if i didn't kind of do that by accident i probably wouldn't have realized that this connects to this and this is that interval and this is this thing or this scale part of this scale ah, blah 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 it's a beautiful thing um and i think it, a, a little bit of being fearless is important to find yes. those things um i was doing this is ages ago now because covid times feel like five minutes and five years at the same time right but when I did Josh, Josh's little interview series there, I'm sure you did one as well. Yeah, yeah. He asks, what's your weakness as a guitar player? Maybe he didn't ask you that, did he? Yeah, I, I, get there, yeah there, I think there were set questions for you. There were set I, questions, I, yeah. And I mean, I can think of a million weaknesses. I think we, we, we all can. But the one I said, I don't know why I said it, but it, it's, it's a kind of a detriment, but it's also not, is just I tend to sometimes... Uh, I don't know if it like get lost, but like chase something down way past the point of return where it's like, you should have just maybe played it a bit more safe. Cause now you're in the, like, what are you doing territory? <laughs> and I can't help it. And I kind of can't control it. But like you were saying, sometimes it leads, you know, I might be listening to the recording of the show and go, Oh, cringing. <laughs> hey, that was cool. That one little <laughs> That one right. two second thing there, you know, can I live with the other 10 seconds of it? 
I guess I have to. Uh, right. It just kind of makes me think of that. <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's been what you've been doing during during these COVID COVID hours. As my as my young son, he's not so young; he's younger than me. Uh, my son, my son says, it's hours. It's COVID hours. COVID and, hours. <laughs> so, what what have you been? You know, I, obviously, I see you online doing stuff. Um, and you just said you said you were just in Atlanta. Things things seemed like they were loosening up a little bit, and then we just actually. You know, about a month ago or a couple, three weeks ago, I had to cancel my tour with Dudley in November because, you know, all, th- you know, the two guys in my band, my son and, and Toby, none of us have had COVID yet. And, you know, we were supposed to go to Poland and Germany and then go over to the UK for two weeks. It's like, I have no idea what the hell's going to happen. I don't want to be quarant, get it over there and be quarantined or God knows what else is going to happen. So we canceled it. So, you know, we had a really busy September and now it's kind of like we're waiting, kind of riding it out to see what happens. I don't know uh, what your circumstances are, or what you got going. Well, I'll, I'll go backwards. So yeah, I was, I was playing a festival in Atlanta last weekend. Actually, it was Thompson, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Um, but beginning of September, we did a two-week tour in the Northeast in the, in the States. My first tour since end of March 2020, right before COVID. Right. And like you, I was anxious as hell. Um, it's one thing to... I don't know, just safety and, and everyone getting it. But like internationally, exactly the same as you going overseas, even crossing a border. Right. Uh, it, it could be a disaster if anyone, you know, gets sick. So knock on wood, it was a great success. People were coming out to shows. You know, my team was able to set up, you know, uh, proof of vaccination or negative COVID test for, for people that were coming in. And we just maintained a very strict... Uh, bubble and we I just kind of set some rules for the band you know I know the certain parts of the US and even the northeast is a lot less uh restricted than Canada is mm-hmm. so I said you know what no matter what let's let's always just do masks let's just do this let's not really socialize unnecessarily and uh, it was still plenty of fun the shows were great everyone was respectful it was fantastic so we did the tour had a festival. We have another festival this weekend and a few more things. Touring is actually ramping up now, which is crazy to think. But COVID hours, the whole yes. the whole COVID time, like everyone else, I, I think it's fair to say that that first couple of months were just like, uh, right. what are we doing? Like, what's the point of, what's the point of even playing? It's, it's supposed to provide us with joy. And I don't think any of us are really feeling joy at this moment. We're all just confused. And there was right. a lot of um, bandwidth being taken up of the news. I felt so bad for people and friends that were putting out records or music that, that weekend that it like basically all happened. Right, right, just right, like right. All right. that work to basically throw it in a dumpster fire, for, you know. So I was lucky because I, the first three months of COVID, I was going to take off anyways. I was mixing my record Headway. So we did that. And, uh, 
I'd say about two months in, I, I, I really got hit with, with some creativity. So obviously we finished up Headway. I recorded an acoustic version of the album. I did, uh, recorded this album, Mile End, that's coming out in two days. And I've, I've been writing my ass off. So uh, writing for another record, released the record, Headway in March of this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did some teaching, some courses I did pre-COVID came out. That was great. Um, it's just been a lot of creative, like, and I produced a couple records. So there's been a lot of, I, and it's funny because I, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? Forget shows. I don't think, I think that's a thing of the past. Like, I don't think that I need it. I think I'm fulfilled doing what I'm doing now. I'm feeling creative. I'm writing a lot. I'm inspired. I'm collaborating with a lot of friends. I did this, uh, this interview series on YouTube where I just interviewed some friends and some colleagues. And uh, we also did a song. So like one of their songs, I put together a band scattered around the world and we like performed one of their songs. It was a lot of work, but I I just was doing a bunch of projects. And then we finally went on tour, played our first show in New Haven, Connecticut. And it was just like, oh boy, this is, this is who I am. Playing shows is who I am. That is what I need to be doing. How could I think that I didn't need this in my life? So that was an eye-opening reminder that it was a, a deep gap in all our lives right now, but for me specifically. So I'm happy that's coming back. But yeah, it, it, in the COVID times, it was just a lot of that kind of stuff, creativity, putting out the record, recording a few projects, producing, stuff like that. I actually kind of enjoyed it. it, it I mean, knock on wood, it, it, it's, you know, I'm fortunate. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get COVID, you know, I know there's so many people who have gotten sick, lost loved ones, of course, I I don't mean to like, take away from any of that. But I mean, just the slower paced, uh, being in one spot for a while, I enjoyed it. I don't know how you how did you feel about the lack of traveling? Uh, Kind of the same as as you were describing. I mean, uh, you know, I would say for the last Oh, God knows how many years. It's been a long time. Let's say last, well, I don't even know, maybe 20 years. Let's say for the last 20 years, I've been gone between 150 and 125 days out of the year. So um, that's a lot. I mean, it's not, you know, you know, these guys that are gone 300 and some odd days a year. But, you know, I, I like the idea of uh, maintaining marriage, you know, and, yeah. and having my kids know who the hell I am. So, um it was the first year I was not gone for that period of time. So it was a little scary from that point of view of, you know, because you think about, you know, well, my wife and I going to get along once? Of course, but, 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 you know, you're gone all the time. And then I was like, no, she she's great. I love hanging. I like hanging out with her. <laughs> she, she still thinks I'm funny. So that was that was great. Um, and then there was the idea of turning the, uh, you know, it was great. You know, it was great having all the kids home because they're. They're old enough now to the point where other than my youngest, who's now a senior in high school, but all the rest of them would have been gone. And all of a sudden, for the last year and a half, all four of them were home. Now they're starting to, my one daughter just went back up to school in Minneapolis. The other one's out in California, and my son's moving out in a week. So we'll have you know, one back home. But it was, it was very interesting to have everybody at home for at a time in their life where most likely that would not happen. 
right? Oh, yeah, that's fun. So that was fun. And then, you know, I started doing, uh, luckily, you know, with my relationship with Wildwood, um, they're like, well, let's just have you do live streams from your house. We'll send you guitars and we'll just kind of figure out, you know, ways to utilize you from afar. Right. Um, So we started doing that. And then Fishman did the same thing. And, And I'm a total technological moron when it comes to trying to figure out uh sorry that's probably not a word i should use uh I, i'm uh, not very clever when it comes to using technology so um they really helped me kind of ramp everything up so you know my son and i started to do uh live streams initially it was just with a you know this mic and uh, and then using restream to go out on a couple different platforms and then uh, we ended up you know Miking everything up, and now Toby comes down probably, you know, four months or so into COVID hours. Toby would come down from Minneapolis, and we would do full band things. And so it was one of those things where financially I really didn't take a hit, which was, I was needless to say, very grateful for. Uh, and what I thought was funny, too, is I talked about this with a few musician friends, that you find that, you know, all your credit cards, you paid off all your credit cards because you weren't putting expenses on there that you got reimbursed for, but you'd like spend it on other stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, now your credit card balances are at zero. You're home. You're making decent dough. Um, you're enjoying being in your own house. Um, and creatively, I mean, uh, you know, there is, I just like playing. So whether I'm playing and I, now I will say to your point about when you finally get in front of people, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. This is, this is that thing. Right. Uh, but still the overriding pleasure I get is just from creating in the moment, you know, improvising, playing, doing whatever, just playing guitar. Right. Um, so in that way, I would say that I too was weathered it well. We were very, uh, uh, we were very lucky that no one in our immediate, um, you know, household got COVID. Uh, or any of that kind of stuff. So that being said, I mean, I, I, we did our first show probably mid-July, I think, uh, after that. And it was great to get out of the house and play. And, uh, you know, I look forward to doing most. But I, I was I was unsettled by, and if you recall, like in April or so, when we all were kind of of the mind of, well, maybe stuff in the fall will happen. Right. And then, like, all of a sudden, mid-May, someone hit a, a switch and said, yeah, screw it, we're on, everything's happening. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. What, what, did, what did this happen? Should I be booking stuff? Should I be, is it safe? I mean, what's happening? And then, you know, everyone gets, you know, uh, uh, you know, everyone around you gets vaxxed up. You're like, well, maybe it's probably safe now. We could probably go out and play. And and then all of a sudden, the Delta thing comes around, and there's all this other, you know, just like, oh. So I was very much hyped of thinking that, well, maybe we can get away with doing getting back to some semblance of reality in the fall. And then, and then all of a sudden it just doesn't seem like, uh, I mean, it seems like, you know, I I put it this way. I don't know what your thoughts are about it, but I I think we're probably pretty close to the same page is if you're driving distance from home, I think the next few months are probably going to be safe. If, as long as you're not, you know, weathering international borders and having to take, you know, uh, places where you could be stranded for like 12 days as you're being, you know, uh, sequestered because of yeah. you tested positive, then it's it's okay. I mean, I don't want to get. I mean, uh, I don't think I'm at a high risk group for you know getting horribly ill once I've already been vaccinated. But you, you really don't know. I mean, there's all these breakthrough cases, and you know, my sister just had it, and she was she was vaxxed. She thinks she already had it, and she was vaxxed, and she thought she was going to die. But you know, um, oh, so I mean, she bounced back and she's fine now. But uh, man, that, I mean, that's scary. 
when you when you really realize that what is going on you it's yeah. just there's so much mystery to it so in that way I'm, I'm grateful i can continue doing stuff from the house but let me ask you this i mean it's interesting i i love just kind of doing random random posts um you know a lot of times i'll hit the camera and i'll just play something and and I'll go, I'll do another one. It's always the first one that sounds halfway decent. Yeah. I'll just post it and be done with it, you know. And um, and I'll do these live streams, four live streams a week, sometimes f- more like five if I do like the together thing or do a, you know, a separate band one on the weekends. But I find just doing those live streams, as much as they're fun to do, and I'm grateful that I can just roll out of bed and come into my own house and do this thing, they're exhausting. It's like there. It's like a little morsel of your soul is being taken. <laughs> and again, I'm so grateful to be able to do it, but it, it is tiring. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. Um, I just did my first together the other day a couple of weeks ago. It was really lovely. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a couple more of those. That was really fun. But I 100% agree with you. I. I before COVID, I'd go live occasionally. You know, hey, uh, songs out today. Or something like that. Maybe I'll right. just go on and uh, try to promote it. Right. Play a little, take some questions. Um, and then, yeah, when COVID first started, everyone and their dog, it was like, I still remember that first week. It was unbelievable to me. It's like every band and artist was on live. Right. At, at the, it's like everyone was so insecure about like, if I'm not present or somehow performing in some median medium, it's like, I'm not doing my job. Um, and obviously I, I was feeling the pressure too. So I, I'd say the first month and a half of COVID ish, I went live once a week on, um, Facebook and I tried to tur- turn it into a thing where I was doing, um, Hey guys, I'm going to go through some, some stems from my first record and I'll show you what it was like. Or, uh, today I'll show you my pedal board or today I'll right. take some, qu- I tried to come up with something and yeah, it's exhausting. And I feel like it started to suck out. And this is just me. I'm not saying that this is for other people, but I was starting to feel like I was squeezing any kind of mystique that I had to offer out. The towel was dry, if you will, because I was just, um, I don't know. I felt like I was putting myself out there too much. So I, I kind of dialed back and I just was like, okay, if I'm going to go live, I want it to be, uh, I want to have a reason. Maybe I want to, you know, whether or not I'm promoting something, maybe I'll, I'll just play a set or of some songs or just improvise for a while or take questions. But like, even when you take questions, any platform that you have more followers on, you have so many more people that are just on there that don't actually know much about you. And they're just going to say, uh, the same questions, play John Mayer or play something. You know what I mean? That isn't really related to you. Um, so I was just kind of getting tired of it kind of not meaning anything for me. So then I did the together thing. It's really nice. It's a very streamlined, like, you know, very nice. Um, and yeah, I actually feel there are times where I'm like, oh, I'd love to, I'm working on something or like, it'd be fun to go live and just like share this with people and show them what I'm working on. Cause I used to do that. I'd be like working on a demo of a song and then I just bring everybody on and say, Hey, check this out. Giving you an inside glimpse of a song. And yeah, I just haven't been in that mindset. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I won't get back into it. I just feel like 
have been a bit happier, more fulfilled, not doing it as much and just doing sure. it more sporadically. And I got a new computer recently, so it, it's a lot easier and looks better and just everything runs better than it was before. Right, right, and That right, kind right. of makes me be like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to go with like a quality over quantity. And again, this is just me. This no, I understand. I totally period. get it. I mean, I, you know, from... You know, to your point, there was there was a lot of people going live, and you know, and and still continue to do so, and uh, and and we only do it with the band. I mean, we started to dial back the band ones because the tips were really good initially. Like for the first nine months, they were great because no one was going out; everyone yeah. was home, and they understood that you know, uh, you know, musicians don't have any place to play and people didn't have anywhere to go. So you could do it 5 PM central on a Saturday night and you know, you're going to get a bunch of people in it. And, and the, and the tips were commensurate with, you know, a decent club gig. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course there was the whole thought of, uh, you know, do we do gated streams? Do we go to another format? Do they, and then finally just come up there. No, you're just better off going on these, you know, Facebook and, uh, and YouTube simultaneously and just putting up a tip chart thing at the top because you're much more likely to have a wider net of people sure. as opposed to just sequestering it down to whoever happened to see the advertisement or whatever. You know, so it's always wrestling with this stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it got to the point where, um, you know, like for us, it's like we'll do a, a live stream now and people are still generous. It's still decent, uh, but it's definitely not what it was. And I also think that, you know, we've done so much stuff from this room that it would almost like I'm sitting to Toby like, well, when you come down, we should just find a different place to do it because when they <laughs> see the same background, yeah. you know, even though we played, I mean, if we played this, you know how it is. If we People played the same size to it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Correct. And, uh, fortunately for my other stuff, I mean, this is, again, this is just me. Um, you know, there's, there's like a specific thing to, you know, the Wildwood thing, it's like they send me guitars. I'm playing something on these guitars uh, for the purpose of people can click and buy them. So that in and of itself fuels new content. You know what I mean? 100%. And, and, and same with, uh, uh, with, with the Fishman thing. And what's, what's great about it, too, is, and I don't know how you feel about this, but this, there's so many people that I know that both of us know. Uh, that are a, a big part of their income. Sometimes it's all of their income is this idea of monetizing everything they do online in terms of having to take whatever skill set they have and put together clickbaity type of stuff. Um, and I am just, I mean, and good for them. There's so many people that do it well and do great content and all that other kind of stuff. But to me, there's always just got to be a whiff of controversy to all that stuff to make it clickbaity. You know what I mean? Like who's better, this guy or that is, is this thing, the real thing? What is the real P90s or whatever? Uh, there's always just this little you know, whiff of, yeah. oh my God, there's going to be, uh, I got to I got to tune in to find out which side I'm on. And, 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 and again, all good for them, but I'm just so grateful that I'm able to make a living doing the stuff online without having to be beholden to uh, the, the sheer quantity. Because I find, with, even with my, you know, just my musical career, it's like, I don't need a million, I just need enough. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, no, totally. I'm, I'm uh, 300% with you. Um, I, I was going to say, I, I, I did forget about the tips. Um, that was a big reason I forgot about that. I mean, that on the Facebook thing, I felt like it was, 
it was like, man, I'm making like a little bit of an income right. once a week just from this. Um, but so, so my record came out and I, I'm in the same mindset. Like I was trying to think like, okay, like we're living in a digital age now. We don't do anything in person anymore. Everything's online. So how can I, you know, I, I wasn't looking to become a YouTuber. You know, I spent a lot of time when I was living overseas. I did a bunch of the Andertons things right, and, yeah, yeah. And, and a bunch of other stuff. So much fun. I loved it. Um, I'm, I'm tr- other than the gear I use and, and whatnot, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I've stepped away from just being a gear demo guy. Sure. Um, so anything I wanted to put out was like related to my music. So I knew that I was going to put out this record that I, you know, invested a lot of time and money and in blood, sweat and tears into. I wanted to right. do it justice. So I went ahead and made sure we had way more content than usual. Like, uh, the, the band, we went into a studio, filmed every song, live off the floor, every song. I, I did breakdowns of the songs, like going through the sessions. I did, I, I made sure we we recorded way more extra, like, uh, recording footage. So, like, I could put together a little mini documentary. I was just trying to think of all these ways. And then, at this point, you know, I already kind of stopped live streaming pretty regularly already for months and months and months. And what helped me was that when the album came out, we wanted to do a show and we did a live stream ticketed concert. We called it the Headway World Tour, which was just kind of funny because it was just anyone anyone from anywhere could join. Um, And not doing anything like that and then suddenly doing a full band show with full production at a nice looking venue and with ticketed thing and like a, you know, a Zoom VIP pre-hang. Right. It was a success. It was really nice. And I don't know that it would have been a success if I was doing anything like that prior or close to it. Um, it's kind of hard to just like sit back and just not do it and invest that time, build it into doing that one thing. At least it worked that time. We'll see what happened for next time. Um, but at the at the end of the day, it's, it was just about not sacrificing who I am as a as a persona, I guess, like we all are personas and we're not, I don't like saying that we're brands, we're, we're musicians, we're people, right? but we have our, our thing. And like, you know, if I started making videos saying, here's five blues licks you need or else you're not a blues player that, you know, that's just an example, but I see a lot of right. videos like that. Sure. That's not me. That's not what I do. It doesn't feel honest. So right. I just couldn't feel and nothing against those videos. So uh, I understand. Yeah, I know you're saying, and there and there is the controversy, uh, but it was just it just felt more me to just focus on my music, focus on the creative, and just keep keep focusing on that. I, yeah. Well, let me ask you about the the aspect of releasing music. I know we're getting probably a little bit late here. We're, we're having oh, such a, a spirited spirited conversation. Having a blast. Uh, excellent. Thank you. Um, you know, the idea of uh, putting out, you know, music these days. I mean, um, your stuff's magnificent. And, and uh, I was listening to a bit of your record before the last one, other than the uh, the instrumental tune that I mentioned, the Tumble Away tune. And just, just great tunes. You know, it's... I hate the term Americana is overused, but it's, you know, it's got all the good stuff. I call, <laughs> it's, I call it's I call yeah, it there, there you go. Roots-oriented music. I, yeah, I, yeah. I love it. Um, 
You know, what's interesting to me in this day and age is, you know, we've all been through the record company thing and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, the idea of putting out records, I'm just interested, you know, I think when I was traveling with Dudley, he was saying uh, that there, I don't know if this is true or not, please correct me if this is the case, but are there is there, are there some advantages to being a Canadian when it comes to being a recording artist in terms of any kind of, uh, of, uh, of grants or any yes. of that kind of stuff that, that assists you. Could you, could you describe that for us a little bit yes, and, and, and tell me when I can move there? <laughs> well, you're, you're already an honorary citizen. Uh, you, you come anytime. No, uh, Canada is unbelievable. No place is perfect. Canada has a lot of flaws, but they do fund the arts very well. So they have provincial, um, and federal funding. So, for anyone that doesn't really know what that means, that means that each province, states, if you're if you don't know what a province is, has its own funding, and then there's federal for the entire country. So it's very competitive. Like a lot of people, as you can imagine, uh, everybody's applying for it. Um, they really want to make sure that everybody is getting it. They're, it's very spread out in terms of everything, which is great. Um, so I've, I've been very fortunate to get some funding before. I've also been denied many, many times. Okay. Uh, but so yes, there is, there are a lot of opportunity that really help artists do things, not just making records, but making videos, touring, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's an unbelievable thing that I know myself and all my friends and colleagues do not take for granted. It's and I almost forget sometimes when I'm talking to someone from the States or from the UK or wherever. And they're like, wait, whoa, 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 stop. You're, you're saying that you're sad that you didn't get funding for a tour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I to, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, right. Um, it's bizarre, it, but it, it is a very good thing. I don't know how a lot of people, I, Yeah. I have gone into serious debt making records and, and doing projects sometimes like we all have. Yes. And, and there's a lot of people that for sure would have never recouped if it wasn't for getting some funding that would have helped them out. So it's an unbelievable thing uh, that Canada does. So I'm very appreciative of that. Like when I was in Ireland, I remember someone telling me that there is some funding there too, but it's only if it's traditional music, traditional Irish music or jazz. Oh, interesting. There's all this other, all the, all the other genres exist, maybe even more so, but they only fund jazz or traditional. Canada is a bit more, uh, any, any genre, anything like that. How about in terms of, um, um, I mean, I consider your stuff, you know, roots oriented, but also very radio friendly. I mean, it's definitely something that's just, you know, it's not just for guitar players. It's not just for, uh, fans of Roots music, I think it's you know it's it's got a broad appeal to it. So I'm I'm interested to know uh, just on the merits of the actual quality of the music and the accessibility of it. Um, how easy is it, or in your experience, is it to get airplay and get appreciation, get some ears on it in Canada as a vote as opposed to in America, where everything just seems to be completely commodified and there's no. It doesn't seem like there's any kind of, uh, um, you know, I always make, make the joke is like, you know, they used to say the cream always rises to the top. It's like the cheese always rises to the top. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, what, what are your experiences in terms of, uh, uh, that? 
aspect well, I'm of things. I'm definitely not on, you know, mainstream radio or anything like that, but I've had some luck with, you know, college stations and, uh, you know, we have the CBC, which is mm-hmm. like, yeah. Uh, so they have a few stations. There's one, two, three, and I've had a lot of success. Well, I don't know. I'll call it success. Just a little bit of play, uh, airtime on CBC, which has been helpful. And also actually, even in the States, just like college radios and smaller stations, I've had some friends tell me that, Hey, I keep hearing your songs on this. I'm like, really? But I think it has a lot to do with maybe hiring a good publicist who's getting your music out there. And it has now, okay. A big part of it, I think now is streaming, which you know, we're essentially making music for robots now for right. an algorithm to pick it up for music to get on a playlist. Right. And people are hearing of stuff through p- playlists. People are hearing through pitches from other people, from distributors. And I think it's just on your general following. So, I mean, like if you have a general following of, even if it's guitar players, like those guitar player fans will still somehow like find, push you through to, uh, radio spot because again I'm not a mainstream radio at all. You're never you're not going to hear any of my music on. Uh, you're not going to hear it after a Billie Eilish song or a you know Justin Timberlake song. Um, you'll probably hear it at three in the morning on a smaller state. I don't I don't even know. I've never actually heard my own stuff on the radio, but uh, I think it's just a mixture of all those things. Like I've hired some PR that have gotten music out there. Uh, I've played some showcases where you 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 get a radio tractor or you're, you're right. showcasing for people that work for radio. If they like your songs, they pitch it for for other stuff. My district, my team is uh, has done a lot of that work, which I'm grateful for as well. I think it's one of those things that I, I don't know that I fully understand. It's just I'm, I'm grateful what, for whatever has happened, and hopefully it continues and grows. But I, w- I wouldn't be lying if I said that our focus is more on streaming than radio, which is sure. So I, I get it. Me because streaming, first of all, I know we're not making money from streaming. Um, it sounds worse on streaming. Right. And, true. And uh, it's the two, the, the two sided coin with streaming for my, in my experience is uh, yeah, there's no money. <laughs> <laughs> and there's and it sounds bad and it's almost like social media where you feel like oh if i'm not putting out music enough then my listeners are going down that's how a lot of people think right the plus side is people are getting discovered more than ever because of the accessibility uh, yeah of accessibility and uh release radar or like little playlists that you get when you just post a song you never know who can hear it or land on it, even if it just gets a, gets on a podcast or gets right. on one radio show, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. There's two sides to it, but uh, it's just also it's 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 a it's a mountain that I'm not sure that we'll ever fully climb the correct way. I just because none of us understand how to. It's right. Strange. Well, it's interesting. I just I hired um, I hired a guy to help me um, get all my back catalog. Uh, back in my possession, there were a few things that were on other labels and so on and so right. forth. So I don't know myself. But see, back in the day, I thought it would be a good idea 
to identify all these various different lineups by different names. So it was like my first band was Greg Hawk and the Tone Controls. And then it was, you know, the Greg Hawk Band or Greg Hawk Trio or Greg Hawk Another Bad Band. And all the, well, they're all under different stations now on all these on, on Spotify. So it's you're not getting the full amalgam of followers right. because they're all tangentialized for all these different names. So he's like, listen, we got to get the rights back to all this stuff and put it just all under your name. I'm like, oh, okay. So then, and my wife's graphic designer, so we'd have to take the artwork and redo the art and, and get rid of all the andas, right? Oh, so it's my just, God. So it's just Greg Hawk and all this stuff. <laughs> so we finally got all that stuff, and, we, and, and the followers or the listeners are going up and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it reminds me of back in the day, you know, where they actually use this stuff now is, is they can go on and, okay, well, you're getting X amount of listeners in this area, this area, this area, and they can track all that stuff. So that makes it easier for promoters and bookers and all that yeah. kind of stuff to do. Like all they have to do is go online. They can check all this crap out. Uh, cause I remember back in the day when I was a young, I was so fresh. I couldn't get an agent for love nor gold. I'm like, what are you talking about? I got a record deal. You know, I got write-ups and all these guitar magazines. I got this going on and yeah. yada, yada, yada. Well, where are you getting airplay? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, and then I want to get books in place and they'd be like, uh, or well, what, why don't we get some airplay over here? Well, are you gigging there? What do you mean? When am I? How can I be gigging if I'm not doing airplay? How can I get airplay if you're not gigging? It was just one cluster after another. Yeah. So all of a sudden, now there's this thing where I've got so many records up there now that the the monthly increment. I mean, if I can get it up to the point where it's a mortgage payment, I mean that would be that would be a win. You know yeah. what I mean? 100%. And and uh, but yeah, it's 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 strange times. I you know I. I I'm just curious about, you were mentioning hiring folk, because I, I didn't hire anybody the last time uh, because we didn't do it on the label, and I just I just put it out. But it's like, you know, it's always such an interesting thing when you hire, um, oh, I shouldn't, I, you know, how much do you want to spend a month on a radio promoter or a publicist? And then a lot of times it seems they come back to you and it's like, oh, we've, we've served these people, which is all the people you would have served on your own anyway. You know yeah. what I mean? It's 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 yeah. just always it's it's so hard to discern. You know, it's just one of those things where I love making music, I love recording records, I love the whole process, except for the getting the people to give a shit about it. <laughs> you know what, man? I've I've learned that you could hire as many fancy PR people as you want. At the end of the day, the best connections and contacts are your own. Exactly. The people that you've already know, the people that you've already built relationships with, guitar magazines or this or that, they're always going to answer that email or phone and say, oh, yeah, new, right. new record. We can't wait. Yeah, we'll feature it. You know, oh, my God, we're going to put you in a in an I, I don't know, iHeartRadio or Spin Magazine or I'm just spit right. on here. But like, if you get into a random thing that no, everyone that's reading it doesn't know who you are, what good is that as a, it's like, just so you could say you've been in that. Right. So I don't feel like the effect is as strong as just like sticking to what you know is going to work, but always each time trying to build more off of it and try exactly. to like maybe get it to a point where you don't even have to reach out to them. They just do it anyways. Exactly. Again, I, it's, I feel like we'll never fully understand and we just have to keep <laughs> exactly that's to try to make it work somehow. you just gotta keep on keeping on but that's but, but what you said too is like you know yeah the creating is the best part the getting people to give a shit and like the 
all the work that has nothing to do with the creative aspect is exhausting. It's tiring. Um, But it's important, like a release, putting out music. Here's how I think of it. It's like the lead up until you put a record out. That's what it's all about. Once the album is out, the show's done. Right. True. Album's out. Hey, okay. It's done. It's all about like the hype before that. And exactly how long you can stretch that out. And in this, in COVID times, it was really interesting to have the time to just go, you know what, let's go extra. Let's go crazy. Let's do five singles. Let's do, I'm going to make a lyric video or I'm going to make a perform extra performance video. I'm going to really stretch this out seven months before the records out. I don't know if I'd normally go that long. Um, It was just an experiment, but it, it, it did help in a lot of ways. Because once it's out, it's done. Yeah, that's a fact. And a lot of people just think, well, no, I, I got to put it out. And then then I start. It's, it's, it goes, it's the other way around. Yes. It's exhausting, though. It it's is. Very with, exhausting. I wish we could that. just put out sweet records and then they do, it does all the work for us. You know? Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it is interesting, though. It's like, you know, you... You just hope that sometimes you can put all the stuff on social media. Hey, we got a new record out. And uh, and people always are very good about that, you know, as far as like sharing it and all that other kind of stuff. And the initial sales are always good, like doing the, we're going to do X amount of signed copies out of the gate. And they always go lickety split yeah. and all that other kind of stuff. But it's just so interesting that, you know, uh, all of those different publications and so on and so forth that you said, sometimes they'll reach out and say, hey, we'd like to do something on a new record. But more often than not, it's like they, they get so inundated with stuff. And in that it's 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 hard for, you know, it's it's like they're um, uh, it's impossible for them to be in the cutting edge. Oh, hey, he's got a new record out. I should really do something about that. It's like no, you got to go. Hey, remember I got a new record out? And oh well, shit, it's February. You know, when does it come out? Well, it comes out in, in April. Well, we can get, we can get you the August exactly. August edition. You know, and you're just exactly. like you know, I, I just want to play guitar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want to live eight months ahead all the time. Right. Yeah. I just want to be in the moment, but that's how you have, like, I mean, that's how it is. It's that's like, it. Uh, but we're not whining. We're just saying, yeah, we're just saying. All good. <laughs> just well, listen, my friend, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Hopefully I can see you in, in person one of these days. I would love that. Are you going to go to the, uh, the summer NAM? Think? Uh, most likely, yes. Um, if everything happens, which I would imagine by then, unless you know there's a new variant that causes you to grow some kind of malignant horn on your head by that point in time, uh, anything, anything's possible. You know, we got aliens now, so uh, my, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. But anyway, yeah. uh, but listen, absolutely a pleasure hanging with you and talking with you. And thanks for so much for spending some time with us today. And uh, I hope to see you soon, my friend. Have a good one. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, hope to see you sooner than later. That sounds good. Thanks, Ariel. We'll see you soon. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Chewing the Gristle. We certainly do appreciate it. On behalf of Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and our friends at Fishman Transducers, we say, don't be a stranger now. Keep on coming back. We're going to keep on giving her. <laughs>